Production support for Soundbites is made possible by listeners and by Coffee by Design, growing a business committed to community and sustainability locally and worldwide. Coffeebydesign.com. Welcome to Soundbites, true stories told by local Mainers and nationally recognized storytellers. The themes are always changing, and the hosts are from all over the nation, but when you hear the name Soundbites, you're in for a unique storytelling experience. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. This week's stories were told live at Frontier in Brunswick, where the event's dedicated theme was schooled. Here's today's host, Chicago-based storyteller and host of Shannon Kaysen's homemade stories, Mr. Shannon Kaysen. I want you guys to go crazy for our first storyteller, Victoria Bonney. Victoria. So I was sitting in my college dorm room when my mother called me to say that she had um, Googled my father. She said, "Um, he's hosting a hike this Saturday, and you should go. He's getting old, and you should meet him before he dies. Uh, I didn't like the sound of any of this. She was suggesting I go to a town I'd never been to to meet a person I'd never met, my biological father. But I'd also been waiting for this meeting to happen organically for 20 years, and it hadn't. So I went, and I took a friend for moral support, Megan. As soon as we pulled into the parking lot, it was quickly evident that this wasn't a um, hike, as my mother had billed it, so much as it was a uh, geriatric stroll through a flat meadow. (laughs) Literally everyone there had a Medicare card in their wallet except Megan and I. My whole life I'd never, I'd only ever seen one photo of my father. As soon as I could write letters, I wrote them to him, and I always asked, what do you look like? And mercifully, when I was about seven years old, his attorney wrote back with a black and white headshot of Hank, that's his name, Hank, and I saved five bucks, and I bought Hank a little frame, and he sat on our mantle for 20 years, which is how I knew when I got into the parking lot he wasn't the guy who was five feet tall in the poncho on a sunny day. He was the guy who was 6'2", wearing the ill-fitting Earth Day t-shirt with a stick figure on it, picking up trash. <laughs> he told us his grandkids had designed it. Let that wash over you. <laughs> I was sure, had he ever Googled me, he would know who I was right away. I had... Uh, a bumper sticker from my alma mater on my car. Uh, I had a vanity plate from New Hampshire, as all of us do, uh, with my initials on it, and I looked like him. But he didn't ask my name, he didn't ask anyone's name before we started embarking on this path. And every few steps, he would explain in uh, great detail the birds, the bugs, the trees, And this guy in the poncho was having all kinds of side conversations, and I wanted to be like, excuse me, sir, if you could just zip it for a second. I'm trying to observe my biological father. You wouldn't really get it. Uh, But it wasn't just annoying me. It was annoying my father, who turned around to the group and said, hey, who's in charge of that guy? In the goofiest tone you ever heard, that it shut everybody up, and they laughed. And I thought, huh, he's funny. 
So we keep walking, and we get to this bridge, and he says, it's called Echo Bridge, because you could yell anything, and it'll carry across the water. Just watch. And then he let out a wolf, and he was just like, woof. I turned to my friend Megan, and I'm like, do you think this is, I mean, maybe this is the time to, should I, uh, I'm your daughter, daughter, daughter. Her face said otherwise, so I did not. So we keep carrying on. We walk back to the parking lot, and I'm feeling good. I've objectively observed him. He was smart. He cared about nature. He was funny. He didn't take any shit. I was all of those things, and I thought, maybe I got him from him. I was ready to go after that. Megan, not so satisfied. She wanted closure. She wanted some kind of introduction. And I was like, Megan, you don't get it. He doesn't get to come into my life now. You see, my whole life, family trees have been problematic. I always felt my teachers were conspiring against me when they would assign them. Because inevitably, a kid would always ask, hey, why is it just you and your mom out on a limb like that? And I would have to explain to yet another classroom why my tree looked like a finely pruned bonsai instead of a big spruce. And I was always honest. I'd say, oh, well, my mom had an affair with a married man, and, uh, you know, he has a whole family who doesn't know about me. Uh, I'm sorry, did I mention I went to Catholic school? (laughs) It feels pertinent. Uh, The nuns, uh, they, they didn't love that story. They did, however, have a knack for turning it into a lesson about the Ten Commandments, though. Uh, You see, kids, uh, Victoria's experience evokes number six, (laughs) thou shall not commit adultery, and number nine, thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife. Two in the ten. Uh, (laughs) But I wore that scarlet letter up until high school, and I was okay with it. But then when I was about 12, I got into this prestigious boarding school, And for the first time in my life, I really needed his help, at least financial help. And so even though he'd never given me a nickel, I was like, maybe he will this time. So I wrote to him. And he wrote back, my kids all went to public school. You'll be fine. And that was so shocking and painful that after that, I just told people he was dead. Because it was hard to explain his role in my story. So here I am. 20 years later, face-to-face with the guy. And I don't want anything. Megan, however, dissatisfied. So she's like, well, I mean, can we at least take a photo with him? Okay. The year is 2006, all right? Nobody has a camera on their phone. She has brought an actual physical camera. (laughs) Like a true wing woman. And I'm like, I owe her this, you know? So she scrambles to assemble a group. And it's just like, random guy in the poncho, this guy, me, my friend, and my biological father in this lineup. Again, no introductions are exchanged. And I leave with one more photo of my father and go back to the life I had built without him. And he did the same. Well, the next day I emailed that photo to my mother. (laughs) And again, it's 2006, so download speed's very slow. And my phone rings in my dorm. Victoria, please tell me you didn't tell this man he is your father. Again, I didn't give her any context for the email, so I can tell on her screen she's just opened up this email of this very short man and me. And my mother's 6'1", so I must tell you, she thinks I've ruined this tiny man's life. (laughs) 
And I say, no, scroll right. And I hear her gasp, seeing my father's face, 20 years aged. And it's just silence. And I say, uh, okay, love ya. Gotta go. And with that, I think we're done. You know, this chapter's closed. That is until two years later when I was at my first job. And my mother called me to say, uh, Victoria, I Googled your father. He died yesterday. Do you want to go to the funeral with me on Friday? And I'll be honest with you, I didn't, but I did want the day off from work. <laughs> so I walked myself into my boss's office and I said, hey man, can I get Friday off? My dad died. He goes, I thought he was already dead. And I said, no, for real this time. <sighs> so off we go, my mother and I, to the town where my father raised his children. A town so moneyed that it has the nickname Swellsley. <laughs> and at this point in my life, I had been to funerals for dignitaries, bishops, heads of state, politicians, and I had never seen a church that was standing room only until that day. So we grabbed two seats in the back, and the deacon gets up, and he says, who here has been touched by Hank's generosity? I kid you not, every hand went up except ours including four hands in the row in front of us belonging to men in leather jackets and t-shirts and completely out of place in this setting. And I'm like, wait, how do they know him? And is this what atonement looks like? And, you know, before I could really even indulge that thought, his daughter got up to eulogize him, my sister. And she started talking about how he always encouraged her to get a PhD and she's now a teacher at one of the most prestigious women colleges in the whole country. An investment he clearly felt worth making for her. And then she described this day where they sat together and took apart a clock just to put it back together again. And I thought, how could ha someone have the curiosity to take something apart and put it back together again and not give a damn what made their own child tick? The next morning, I read his obituary. It called him a dedicated volunteer, survived by his wife of 44 years, his three kids, four grandkids, and his big extended family tree. And in the end, he was never part of my tree, and I was never part of his. But because mine looked different, I spent my childhood explaining his adult behavior, and because his looked normal, he took his secret to the grave. 35 years since the day I was born, we do not expect family trees to look alike. There are two dads, there are stepdads, there are no dads. As kids, none of us get a choice in the matter. And all that matters anyway is that they're rooted in honesty and love. Mine was, and that's what counts. Thank you. Over the past 15 years, Victoria Bonney has advocated for causes and campaigns she believes in. She's currently the communications director for Maine's first district congresswoman, Shelley Pingree, the first woman ever elected to the seat. Her personal essays and opinion pieces have appeared in publications ranging from Boston Globe to International Herald Tribune to WBUR's 
uh, Cognoscenti blog, and Maine's Woman's Magazine. But above all, she's just a humble dog mom to the world's best canine. <laughs> Victoria Bach. If you want to know more about today's storyteller, well, you're in luck. Let's join our host backstage, now in conversation with today's teller. What is your connection to Maine? I've been coming to Maine since I was three days old, and I have always felt like when you pass the bridge from New Hampshire to Maine, it's like taking a deep breath. And in 2017, I got a job here, and I went from vacation lander to permanent resident. What got you into storytelling? I always wanted to be a writer or a journalist to make sense of my experience. I would write things down, but this is my first telling experience. Mm. <laughs> That's great to hear. How do you prepare? Well, if this is your first experience, but I'm sure you've been on stage before. How do you prepare for being on stage? What's your process? So I like to write down everything in a big mess. And I like to set an intention and clean it up and drop what I don't need. And then I like to weigh what I've written through a couple of advisors. One of them, my dog, naturally. He has a lot of thoughts. And then I like to practice it out loud anywhere, even if it's on my morning walk and people think I have a, you know, an imaginary friend and want to see me committed. I'm totally okay with it because it's the only way to get it in the brain. Over and over again, I agree. So, okay, tell us some nugget or detail that's connected to your story, but won't be in it. Like it didn't make the final cut. Any details from your story that didn't make it? You said that like a game show host. Um, <laughs> uh, this story has a lot of layers, so it's hard to cut it down to 10 minutes. Uh, I would say it taught me the importance of representation and culture, not just you know, in art, but in politics and in school. I grew up with a single mom and there was really no one like that on TV except Murphy Brown. And so I always idolized her. And then the vice president attacked her and I thought, geez, how can someone judge somebody for this choice? Especially when the kid involved didn't have a role in that. So kind of taking on the whole idea of acceptance and how it underlies my whole philosophy in politics and probably why I went into politics, progressive politics, mind you. Excellent, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Victoria. Soundbites is brought to you by Frontier Studios and made possible by the generous contributions of Allagash Brewing Company, Frontier, The Press Hotel, Toad & Co., and by the listeners of Maine Public Radio. Special thanks also to GWI and Downey's Pension Services. More information about Soundbites, including how to attend a live storytelling event, can be found online at soundbitesme.org. And of course, you can always hear more stories at mainpublic.org. Thanks for listening.